There is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. This is a new series that we begin this morning, having spent the summer in the book of Esther, and having finished the book of John, which was a multi-year investment here this past spring. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through the first five verses, and then we'll bow and ask the Lord's help to understand His Word and obey its implications. This is first one, the book of Acts. This first book, or in this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the word of the Lord, and let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, We thank you for your day, for the opportunity, the privilege it is to gather together in worship. We thank you for the truth of these songs we have been able to sing and sing together. And Lord, I ask that you do the work of the Holy Spirit, not only to open these things to us from the pages of Scripture in a way we can understand them as they were meant to be understood but that we would obey them as under your authority to be obedient as your children. Lord, I ask that each of us here find something we need from you. These weeks that have taken place for many of us have been trying weeks. And Lord, we're here at your feet. Open our ears, our eyes, our heart. We've heard from so many other people. Lord, may we now hear from you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this is an introduction. And as with most introductions, you start out with a name. When you're introduced to someone, you may know them before you're actually introduced. That is, as far as their name. But you usually start with a name. And as all relationships in the beginning, they are a little strange, perhaps awkward. I was never one that enjoyed introductions. I don't know if you do. Uh, The most petrifying thing I could think of as a child would be to visit a church dad was speaking at, go to Sunday school, and then have someone say, why don't you introduce yourself to the class? Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you like to do, and I one time in my life said, I don't like to do this. (laughs) I never did that again, but every time I did, I said it on the inside, even though I didn't on the outside. So we start a new book, and this is at least a year's worth of commitment to verse-by-verse studying the book of Acts. So we'll start with its author, who wrote the book of Acts. This is, again, an introduction. We're introduced to Luke, the physician. And 
Luke was an occasional traveler with Paul the Apostle. As we get deeper into this book, which chronicles the things that took place after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, one of the best ways to describe the book in summary is God's word goes out as his apostles preach and teach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. As that gospel goes out, God brings people into the church as they are saved and, if you will, converted to Christianity. But as this book moves along, we're going to see in certain places where the pronouns switch over to they, to we, as Luke himself is included with the company of those being described. I'll point that out when we get there, but it's easy to chart when the author is speaking of himself by the use of changing the pronouns. Luke was an educated man. His Greek is among the highest in terms of literary quality to be found in the New Testament. That's in, uh, say, contrast with John, whose Greek is the most simplistic uh, in the New Testament. That's where Greek students and seminary start is the gospel of John. And by the time you're in the gospel of Luke or the book of Acts, well, you've gained some cred and you're looking at more sophisticated grammar and more sophisticated wording. Luke has been esteemed as the most accurate historian of the ancient world. It may find you some digging to find someone other than a biblical scholar to say such. But as far as his writings, the amount of them, and the number of copies that are given, he, Luke enjoys a higher reputation than Herodotus, Tacitus, Pliny, Josephus, or uh, any of the others, just by virtue of the actual weight of what is written. Uh, Luke is responsible for 27% of the New Testament in just his two volumes. Now, I know everybody will tell you, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, not by word count, by titles, Many of the epistles are written by Paul. You can check this by just reading the first word of each one of those epistles. They sign their name at the top, in the front, rather than at the bottom. But that's only about 23% of the New Testament. John comes in with his gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation at about 20%. But this is a a massive undertaking. Uh, Let me read to you the introduction of his first volume, which would be the gospel of of Luke uh, in comparison with the introduction of what we just read, which was the introduction to what we study today, the book of Acts. But he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, same recipient in both cases, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Very basic introduction. Hey, I know that others have seen these things, are eyewitnesses, we all know they're true, but I took a very careful accounting of all these things and produced an orderly record so that you can be sure of the things that you've heard in order to believe them. Not much different than the way John told us these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing you might have life in his name. 
That was his work as far as his first volume. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Then we get John, and then we get his second volume, which is Acts. Acts bridges the gap between the Gospels and the Epistles. Understand what is meant by that? The Gospels are the story of what Jesus did during his life on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're each Gospels. John's a little different than the other three, but they all cover the major events, what Jesus did when he was here on earth, and certainly his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Well, then you got the book of Acts that talks about how the church was born. Churches were planted. The word got out, and people came into the church. And then you have the epistles, which are letters written by men like Paul and like John and like James and like Peter, who are writing to these churches that were built as a result of the explosion of the gospel recorded for us in Acts. So Acts is a bridge between the story of Jesus and the development of the church. That's how this is all laid out. Uh, The first five verses of this that we read before we prayed serve as an introduction, but more than that, they serve as a recap of the first volume. You're familiar with a recap, aren't you? You do watch television. And if you have a show that's your favorite or you're fond of, I learned this when I was younger. Hey, some of these shows don't really have much to do with any of the other shows, especially if it's a show that just has to do with catching bad guys. There's always a fresh supply of bad guys to catch and to put in jail, and then everything's all right wherever you are. But there's sometimes where the shows have more of a story that it needs more than one episode, and that's when you'll get those horrible words, to be continued, and you've got to wait in order for the story to finish. And usually, back then, and I'm, I'm thinking back when I knew more about television than I do now. It, it's, I don't get it like I used to, even though I can watch whatever I want now. It's on me. When I was a kid, I watched whatever mom and dad let us watch. So if you're watching, I don't know, Highway to Heaven, and you get the to be continued, you've got to wait a whole week. And back then, we did have VCRs, but you had to know how to hook that up right and program it right if you wanted it to record. And the worst thing that could ever happen is, say, a sporting event or stay of the union or somebody would push into there, mess up your recording, and you'd get like the end of it, and that's it. You'd have to call somebody because they didn't have this stuff on demand. There was no such thing as a whole season being made available, and you can binge watch it all night long if you want to. Some of you act like you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But how did the episode start? If you happened to be same place, same time, one week later, it comes on, you hear, previously on Highway to Heaven, right? And what do they do? They show little snippets of what went on the previous week so that if you miss that, you can still sort of be clued into what's about to take place. That's exactly what Luke is doing in the first five verses of the book of Acts. He's cluing us in on what he said in his first volume, which was the Gospel of Luke. Now, he didn't go into much detail, but enough detail is here. So here's how we'll arrange what we look at this morning. There's a look back, and then there's a look forward, uh, which makes sense if this is a two-volume work. He's making sure we know that the two of them go together. 
Luke gives us more details of Jesus' birth than anyone as far as the way that he tells his story. Uh, looking back, he mentions several things that have already taken place. He calls this in that first verse we looked at, all the things Jesus began to do and teach. What might that include? He wants us to understand or to fill out that summary. The last book just was just the beginning of what Jesus began to do and to teach. So if, if we in our minds familiar with that gospel are going back, we're thinking about the birth narrative. And only Matthew and, and, and Luke give us that birth record. Luke is far more detailed. That shouldn't surprise us. He's a doctor. So when he says that Mary was great with child, we know what he means by that. There's other places where he does the same. Uh, he gives us Jesus' teachings, some of his miracles, uh, certainly chronicles his, his uh, three years' worth of ministry. And then he spends his amount of time, not as much as, say, John, but in the death, burial, resurrection, and then finishes with the ascension as Jesus leaves this world while they are watching. And that's where one volume ends and this book of Acts begins. But there's something that takes place that is going to be difficult if you enjoyed the study through John or Luke or Mark or Matthew. You only get to see one episode worth of Jesus in Acts where one act ends and the other one begins. This is the last episode that involves the main character. He is leaving them. They're going to watch him ascend into the clouds. And while they're staring, the angels say, well, he's coming back. And then we know the Holy Spirit's coming down. They won't be left alone. But just imagine how that's going to change. If, Again, to think of this like a, a show that you like. If the main character that you're so attached to is not going to return or is killed off or is replaced... How many of you like when they used to do that? I remember one pastor uh, talking through a similar point, and he said there was a day where the Lone Ranger came on, and it was about three words out of his mouth that I realized, mask or not, that ain't the same guy. (laughs) Something's wrong. They've switched him out on us. We don't like that. I mean, after spending over a year in John, we almost get to where we feel like we know these men that Jesus chose, these disciples, the way they acted, what they said, how they felt. Character development has been years in the making here, and Jesus is going to leave them. So there's no more standing with jaw dropped watching Jesus cleanse a temple. Uh, There's no jaw dropped watching Jesus call children to himself put them on his lap there's no watching Jesus teach in the synagogue and watching the looks on the faces of everyone realizing this man has authority not like the scribes there's no more watching him raise Lazarus from the dead there's no watching him weep at his tomb there's no watching the eyes on his face or hearing the sound of his voice, all that is going to be forever gone as far as these men and their lives are concerned. We're watching, we're reading, but we need to acknowledge the change in what's taking place. 
The first verse was in the first book, that's the gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So it's a look back. By the way, we might ought to ask who this Theophilus fellow is. I know that's what you came here to find out. <laughs> but I have sad news for you. No one knows who this man Theophilus is. Two books are uh, written for him. He is the audience, but we know nothing of him. We know that the name means friend of God. The first part of the name Theo means God, and the second part of the name means uh, phileo, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. So his name means friend of God. The title that's given, we don't see it in Acts, we see it in Luke, most excellent is honorific. It's an honorific title. It's a title that means uh, there's honor mixed in there with it. Um, There are other people in the scriptures. There's Felix in Acts 24 who's called most excellent. And there's Festus in uh, uh, chapter 26 who's called most excellent. Both of them were Roman uh, rulers. So it could be, could be that this guy, Theophilus, is like them. He's a high-ranking Roman official. But there are other places where most excellent is just a nice, polite way to say hello to someone, more or or less like Bill and Ted would have used most excellent. Um, So what I'm saying is you can't tell. Some of you know what that meant. Some of you don't. We can't tell what is meant by this. Though adding that means he means something to someone So we believe it's a real person rather than a euphemistic title for every and anyone who would read this. Um, Let's look at verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. There's a lot there. Uh, His first volume covers up until the time when Jesus was taken up. But that took place after he'd given commands and through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So during Christ's ministry on earth, the work of preaching and teaching, if you follow through the Gospels, who did most of the preaching and teaching in Jesus' ministry? Jesus did. He sent his guys off to do that sometimes, but lion's share of it was on the shoulders of Jesus. Well, now the lion's share of that is going to be on the shoulders of these men. Uh, He will be gone. The burden of proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins will rest on his chosen. From a human standpoint, the disciples aren't ready yet. Shouldn't come as any surprise. They were never ready when Jesus was here. He's going to spend 40 days with them talking about the kingdom. But it's not going to be until the Holy Spirit comes that they do anything. And when they start doing things, they're going to look totally different than they ever looked before. And it's this coming of the Holy Spirit that's going to make all the difference. And in a moment, we'll read where they're to wait for that coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, There were still things they didn't understand. Their faith was still weak. The Lord was often often checking them on their weak faith. Oh, you of little faith, how long will I be with you? And on and on. And not only had they, except for John, uh, ran to hide at his arrest, his execution, Uh, they would even, for a time, deny the reports of his resurrection. So if the whole church's success is on the likes of them, we are in big trouble, is the way the beginning of this book looks as though it may 
unfold. Jesus had instructed thousands of people over the course of his ministry, but his primary focus was these men whom he had chosen. We need to make sure we don't forget that. He chose them to entrust with what he did in order to tell others, not what they think, not what they did, but what they saw and what they heard Jesus do and say. That's the gospel, and that's how it's preserved. All right, then Luke looks at the resurrection, so this is another look back before he looks forward. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, which is his death, by many proofs. If you underline or you circle, that would be a good two words to circle. Many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That is very important. And I, I want to take a, a moment or two just to draw that out. If you have been a Christian for a very long time, you grew up in church, raised in a Christian family, or if a lot of this is new to you, don't ever think that the Bible expects you to demonstrate faith for the sake of believing in nothing. This is presented as historical fact. This isn't presented as we might tell children about the tooth fairy or Santa Claus or mythological beings. That if you believe in this and the way this works and the fairy tale ends with a moral application, then you might wind up a better person on the principle or the basis of this stuff. It's the way we treat children in nursery school. No, this is presented as actual fact by many proofs of actual human beings who saw with their eyes, heard with their ears, touched with their hands, this man named Jesus of Nazareth who came from a geographical location was actually executed on a Roman cross and in doing so paid for your sins for eternity because he was the son of God. Now, all up until that last part, you could say, okay, history sounds great, but then you get into the supernatural, the fantastic, that this man really was the son of God, that you really are guilty of sin against his father, but he can really cross out that sin by his own death in your place because he was righteous and you're not. That's a big step. But the way the scriptures present that to you is not that you just start believing in history and then just kind of transition into unicorns. Know that you believe the story all the way through the miracles, specifically resurrection, that the man who was killed and was dead actually raised again. And that's how you can believe this is all true. He says, many proofs appearing to them during 40 days. In other words, Luke is saying, believe this by faith for good reasons. He's writing history here, not a devotional. I'm always amazed at how many people can appreciate Christianity for its devotional content to make you feel better or be better but never go to the lengths of trusting this man to be who he said he was to get you off the hook cosmically with his father in heaven. 
Two totally different ball games. Luke is writing history. These many proofs included eyewitness accounts of Jesus entering a room where the doors were locked, showing these men his crucifixion wounds, eating with them. Ghosts usually don't eat. Drinking with them. But most convincing was the appearance of them over the period of 40 days. It wasn't just a handful of guys at one point or another. But over the course of over a month, different men at different times saw him, such that this can't be swept under a rug. It didn't happen in a corner. It was common knowledge. And history is replete with these records copied thousands and thousands and thousands of times, taken to be fact as history. So Luke isn't asking Theophilus to believe blindly. He's making a case based on evidence, and he's very clear, straightforward, and upfront. Verse 4, here's his look forward. He's been looking backward. Now he's looking forward. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. So having been told what to do by Jesus, who now is back from the dead, the apostles may have concluded, okay, he's back from the dead. And we'll look at this next week because they ask, is this where we pick up where we left off? The answer is no. But there's the risk that they could conclude that they're ready to begin this ministry as having graduated from uh, you know, an, an apprenticeship three years with this carpenter from Nazareth but that would be a mistake to prevent that he says you're going to wait right here you're going to wait until the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit you'll do more than you saw done through me now that's yet to be seen that's quite a, a, a claim but that's what he tells them he tells them to wait do you like to wait I mean if you're good at waiting you like to wait in lines? I don't like to wait in lines. I don't like to wait in traffic. You know, the, 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 the worst words for uh, a 10-year-old back when I would have been 10 was, how did it go? Uh, six to eight weeks delivery. <laughs> and then how it went? Um, Allow six to eight weeks delivery. That's how it worked. So you got your cereal box and all your proofs of purchase. And, and the worst part was talking to your mom into a goofy money order. And then you have to wait six to eight weeks for delivery. And I don't know that that built any lasting character because I'm 42 and I still can't wait for an Amazon box that takes two days. <laughs> Even if it's something dumb like socks, I want it. And if it comes a day late, I'm mad because it should have been here yesterday. That's just the way we are. But why are we that way? And wouldn't we readily admit that whatever we've got in our lives that's actually worth anything took time, didn't it? <laughs> When you're a kid, you want to grow up faster, right? But when you have kids, do you want them to grow up fast or you want them to slow down? You want them to slow down because it goes by so fast. And you want it to matter. You want to be able to train them. You, you, you want to give them all the things that they need before they're gone from your home in the blink of an eye. 
And this business about trying to expect that Christians should mature any faster than it takes to raise a child in your own home, that's goofy. There's no microwave Christianity. You can't just read this, that, and you're ready to go. Three years Jesus spent with men that he spent all day with, and they weren't ready until the Holy Spirit was there. And then it was obvious that what was taking place was through the power of the Holy Spirit, and not because they were experts, not because they uh, were, were, were good at what they were saying or clever or were able to command crowds. These, these guys were backward, They're uneducated men. So waiting has its privileges, especially spiritually speaking. Verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So all the training that knowledge and experience can bring, and the disciples had this, would be useless without the proper power behind it. God's promise would be fulfilled just 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. We'll read all about that in the weeks to come. So if Luke is going to the trouble to take a look back, we've looked at that. And he's taken a look forward. We've just looked at that. It certainly wouldn't go to this trouble to, to say in the end. I just wanted to show you how this all works out to tell you that these books are totally separate and have nothing to do with one another. No, this is how he connects the two to make sure we understand this second one is a sequel that where one ends, the other picks up. But what I want to show you, and, I, and this is really the only point, to make sure this is not a pointless sermon. You get one point. And then we'll look at three different ways to look at that one point. Say, oh, you're getting fancy now. But look back at the first verse, and here's how you connect the look back and the look forward. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And this is where I would invite you to underline, began to do and teach. Because you can make the case, all right, I've studied these books. I took a class on Luke's writings. I know the Gospel of Luke and I know the book of Acts. But I don't understand why he says he wrote the first one uh, having to do with all that Jesus began to do and teach because uh, Jesus leaves at the end of that book and at the beginning of Acts. So uh, I'm confused here. Jesus is gone. You wrote all about Jesus. I mean, he covered the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension. That's when he left. So what's there left to do about Jesus? His story is over. Well, that's not exactly what he intends for us to see. What he's saying is that the ministry of Jesus continues in the book of Acts, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is gone in the flesh, but he's present in the Spirit, same as God the Father. That this whole book that we're about to read is what happened after the beginning. If the gospel is the beginning, Acts is its continuation. It only makes sense to look at it that way. You remember... um, One of the better-known stories in the book of Acts, we'll get to it in chapter 9. Paul, his name is Saul at that part of the story, had been ravaging the church, killing people, rounding them up, persecuting them, having them imprisoned. And what does 
What is said to him through the clouds on the road to Damascus? Saul says it twice. Why are you persecuting me? Who's speaking? Jesus. Now, he's not there in the flesh, but he's certainly present there, and he's certainly still engaged and involved. This is my church you're persecuting. This is me you are offending. And then Paul becomes the best evangelist we've ever seen in print. So Jesus is still at work. These are the things that he continues to do and say. So at this point, let's just ask the big fat, so what? So what if the book of Acts that we're going to be studying for weeks and weeks to come is the continuation of Jesus' story? Well, there's a few implications I think will help us. Though there could be 33 or 333. We'll look at three. First, there's more to the story of Jesus than we might think. I don't know if you're programmed to think this way, but I had to look at the way I think of. I pretty much, if you'd have said, what are the gospels about? Jesus. What's the book of Acts about? The apostles. What are the epistles about? The churches that the apostles planted. But I probably would have answered wrong on a quiz. What is the story of the gospels about? Jesus. What is the book of Acts about? Jesus. What is the epistles about? Oh, that's Jesus too. What about Esther? Jesus. And Genesis. That's Jesus too. It's all about Jesus. Luke's making it easy on us where he says, I'm just continuing. He began here, we continue through. But it's the story of Jesus. If we look at it that way, it'll make a lot more sense. Instead of saying, I like that apostle, I'll put him on my uh, you know, Great Commission fantasy team in order to take over this part of the world of the gospel. I won't uh, you know, handpick these guys. It's all the Holy Spirit working through each one of them in different ways down to their unique personalities, but it's the Holy Spirit. That's the power behind the church. So let's add to that, just a nuance different. If there's more to the story of Jesus than we might think, then we better make sure we don't forget that this is Jesus' story. We're really good at doing that. We're really good about thinking of churches, even ministries. You might put it in words like this. Oh, well, in uh, June of 2018, this chapter of Wake Chapel is uh, what Isaac began to do and teach. And before that, it's about 30 years worth of what Ross began to do and teach. The truth is, for the last 33 years, it's been what Jesus has done and taught. If these men who stand here are faithful to let the scriptures speak. Now, I went through a transition in the church I came from. In fact, a couple of weeks, I'll go back and speak there at homecoming. And uh, there was a period of time where all that anybody wanted to talk about was the difference between my father and the guy who followed him as if that's what's going on when it should be okay we're looking at the same bible hearing the same words and with the aid of the same holy spirit we're in the same way becoming less like ourselves and more like jesus we've got to, anytime we want to assign a human's name to this thing called the church we're in we're in a bad way 
and we'll need to correct for that. So it's Jesus' story. There's more to it than we might think. We don't need to forget that it's his story. That'll make sure we're in our right place. Same is true with James and John and Peter. It's all Jesus. But because this is Jesus' story, this is the third, we can't do this without him. And we're lost if we try. The book of Acts will help us with this, that these are flawed, fractured men. But they're able to turn the world upside down for the cause of Christ. I hate to break it to you, um, as those who enjoy your spot in your pew on Sunday, the rest of the world think that we are crazy. To spend our Sunday morning, I mean, some of them are in the bed, some of them are on the lake, some of them are in the ocean, some of them are, are working more hours and getting paid, but to put on nice clothes and to go sit in a Sunday school class and then to pile into one room together and then maybe to go down to the fellowship hall some Sundays and eat each other's food or to sit in classes with one another and study a book of the Bible or even more weird, bring your kids and drop them off, put them in a room and make them memorize that old book that you think is true. They think we're crazy if they don't feel sorry for us. Now, either what we believe is, is not just the tooth fairy or some Greek mythology, but an actual historical account of the Son of God coming to the earth he created to redeem his people who sinned against him. Or we are every bit as crazy as they think we are. I mean, what's more pitiful than a group of people dressing up to try to make themselves less of an animal than they know that they truly are? Trying to just live a better life is only going to frustrate some. Unless there's some type of power that we don't have in and of ourselves, this is just goofy, right? But if it really did happen, and we can actually make a reasonable hook to hang this faith on that the Bible requires of us then on the basis of that logic approach we with our lives and testimonies ought to be able to affect others and win them to Christ so that we spend eternity with them not just a few years while we share membership in this church together these are the things that we have to remember and consider and engage our faith and what it means. Um, I was over at mom and dad's this past week, and uh, usually the television is on the same couple of channels or so. In the middle of the afternoon, there's certain regular programming that comes on. There are reruns, and it might be the same show for hours. But in between the show... During the commercial breaks, there are these commercials, and it's, it's really all the same stuff. It's all one form of insurance or another. Either it's Medicare part this, that, or the other, or it's something to keep your car from exploding, 
And the people that sell this stuff are recognized personalities from television shows that are not playing uh, rerun form that they were in or sports figures or whatever else. The reason why these companies hire those people is because they think, and I think it's probably true, that the viewership trusts them. But at the end of the day, all they're doing is selling them hope against a disaster. Right? And people will part with their cash to ensure themselves hope against a breakdown or something that's going to cost them a lot of money. Now, I look at those commercials and I get angry because I don't think that type of business stealing is all that honest. First, the insurance is expensive. And then the stuff that they're saying is probably, they probably don't even have those policies themselves. This is one of those secrets of your diet commercials. Most of those skinny people that sell it don't even take it. It's in their contracts that they don't have to because they don't want it. They don't need it. They have their own trainer. Why am I saying all this? Because without the true historical fact of what Jesus did on a cross in space and time, I am no different than a dressed up man hoping you'll trust me to listen to this stuff so you'll have hope against a disaster in your life. That would be the height of lies. It's, it, it, it's the voice of a shyster, right? Folks, I believe with all my heart this is true. Else I wouldn't do what I do. Um, this position, this uh, occupation actually ranks pretty high on stress level. Pastors don't live very long. They go crazy, some of them. And it wasn't long ago, it's Wednesday night, we, we talked about only, it's only God's business that he would choose to call men into ministry and then use them up until almost nothing's left. And the reward of that life spent is then laid at his feet in eternity because he's worthy of it. There's got to be more than just a good word or a good feeling. Folks, this is for keeps. And I couldn't be more happy than to be able to explain this man named Luke who spent his life gathering all these details to build a case for the plausibility of these things being true so that you can base your lives on it with eternity as your hope. That's an introduction to the book of Acts. It's only the beginning. It gets better as we go, but that's enough for today. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. That's going to be hymn number 277, if you want to look at that in your hymnals. We'll have the words on the screen. But it's called The Church's One Foundation. That seems appropriate. If this story is the continuation of what Jesus began to do and say... And because he hasn't come back yet for us, we exist in the church age. And that church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Let me pray for you. Then I'll ask you to stand and we'll sing. Father in heaven, we thank you for this.
time together in your word. Lord, we're going to have to number ourselves with the man who had the guts to say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, these things are, are, are grandiose concepts, eternal concepts. Lord, may you give us the faith to believe them, not just because they sound nice, but because you had men that you spent time with while you were here who carefully kept track of the eyewitness accounts so that through the record of history, we have a basis for our belief. We thank you for the gospel, for your forgiveness and the hope of heaven. And Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.